0: Hi, I am Kat Tompkins, and you are listening to the Engage Chesterfield Podcast, a podcast about topics that affect our schools and community in Chesterfield, Virginia. We believe family and community engagement is an essential component of improving outcomes for children and youth. Our goal is to strengthen the partnership between families, teachers, schools, and the community through open dialogue. Thanks for engaging with us. While you were listening to that 48-second opening, the population of the United States grew by two people, and every person counts. In mid-March of 2020, homes across the United States will start receiving invitations to complete the census. This is a big deal. Did you know that the census greatly impacts our community? School lunches, plans for roads, supports for firefighters and families, all of these things are impacted by the census count and affect our daily lives. In this podcast, I will discuss this important event with census partnership specialist, Justin Beck. He will share facts about the census, how to respond and why your answers matter. In addition, he will address privacy and security concerns. Hopefully this podcast will illustrate why a complete and accurate count is critical for us in our community. Well, I'm sitting here with Justin Beck, and he is a partnership specialist with the Census Bureau. I wanted to ask a few questions about this pretty exciting time that's coming up for us in the United States. Yeah. So, good what is the Census?
1: So, uh, first of all, we'll talk about the Census uh, historically. So, in 1790, uh, the, it was the first ever Census. Um, in the Constitution, it actually, says that we need to get a complete count of everyone that's in the United States every 10 years. It's done for two main reasons. Principally, it's done to distribute money from the federal level back to the localities. And second of all, we use it to reshuffle the 435 representatives in the House of Representatives. But then that information that's provided, which is just just statistics from uh, from the population, is then used to make determinations and decisions on the local levels, on the state levels. It becomes the gold standard of data. About the American populace, about the American population, so that's the main reason why we have the so census.
0: You're saying like, okay, if it looks like we have a high population of elderly people in this community, then maybe we need more retirement facilities here. Exactly,
1: and so the localities look at that uh, look at that data that they receive from the census, and they make those important decisions, both in the public sector and in the private sector. So okay. businesses use this information as well to determine, oh, we you know we need to set up uh, a health insurance uh, company. Here in this part of the county because there's a lot of people that are over 65 that are uninsured. Now, that information would be captured with that information, you know, that we collect from the census. For this particular decennial, though, Uh we're really just looking at a population count so that we can then determine how much money to send back to the localities. And so there's $675 billion in federal funding That'll be distributed over the next 10 years, mm-hmm. and it's all based on the on the demographic responses to the census, this decennial census that's coming up.
0: What information will folks be
1: asked? Great. So it's really just basic demographic information. We're asking, uh, you know, a persons' gender. We're asking their racial background. There's a couple two questions on that. Um, there's a question about whether they rent or own their house. There's a question about when they were born, so you know, the birth date is on there. We also ask about the other individuals in the household and what their relationship is to the person who's answering the census. So it's important to remember that only one member of the household will be answering the census. And they're going to include the answers for everybody else that lives in that household. So you can imagine for a multi-generational house, that one person is going to be answering for everybody that lives there. You know, uh, for roommates in college, one roommate is going to be answering for all of the roommates that live in that household. So it's really basic information. It's only nine questions for the first person answering it. And then they answer seven questions about the other individuals in the household. And those questions are outlined on our website as well, uh, 2020census.gov. If you go there and look at outreach materials, you can actually see uh, a a thing that we published that says why we ask. And it, it explains the questions that will be on it. And then the, the reason behind why we're asking those questions sort of explains that connection between the funding that I mentioned already right. and the individual individual questions that we have on the census. So
0: the there are very straightforward questions. Mm-hmm. Most people would be able to answer these for their roommate For sure. <laughs> yeah. the other yeah, people yeah. in their household. It
1: won't <laughs> include any specific financial information. It's not going to include social security numbers. Okay. It's not going to include uh, anything that wouldn't just be basic information about your roommates. Um, if you don't feel comfortable asking so, you know, or, or uh, answering some of those questions before, you talk to them. Mm-hmm. But feel free to talk to your roommates or have them answer with you, right. but just make sure that you only have one submission for the household. That's really what we're looking for because we're trying to avoid double counts. We don't want people to be counted multiple times, uh, you know, either in the wrong location or, the, or in, in the same location. So it's really important that you coordinate within your own household who's going to be your census taker and who's going to take care okay. of getting the answers for everybody else.
0: How exactly are folks going to be um, doing the census? or Is it somebody's going to knock on my door? Oh, is question. it something I can do online? Well, do I need to go somewhere to do it? Tell
1: me. Sure. We have innovated. So it used to be that the, we always said, if it's not on paper, it's not the census. Well, this year, 2020, starting in March, mid-March, people are going to be asked to do it online or over the phone for the first time in American history. So there's going to be a letter that comes through the mail, okay, and it's going to say, this is your invitation to respond to the 2020 census. On that invitation, there's going to be a specific code for your address. Okay. All right. That code is what you're going to put into either your online form or you're going to tell the person in the call center when you call to say, hey, this is, uh, these are the answers to my census. This is my code. You can also answer without your code. Just by going through the process of entering in your address and confirming that that's who you are. So, you don't necessarily have to have this code, but it makes it easier because it ties the code to your address and it helps with confidentiality. So, it's really important that people do that initially. You're gonna have five reminders about how to, you know, about doing the census. The first will be the letter, the second will be a postcard reminder, the third one will be a letter that also has the paper census. So if you still haven't done it online or over the phone at that point, you can do it on paper Paper. during your third reminder. Your fourth reminder will be, hey, we sent you the paper. We gave you the phone uh, opportunity. We gave you online opportunity. Now, uh, please get it done as soon as possible. Your fifth reminder will be enumerators have been assigned to your your household and they'll be coming to knock on your door any day now so that fifth reminder is to let you know that you've missed the opportunities which you could still do it at that point Mm -hmm. but you have not up to this point done it so we have assigned people to come and knock on your door and ask the questions
0: and that's what you're calling that's
1: what an enumerator is yeah and so uh to avoid somebody coming and knocking on the door Just do it online over the phone or on paper, and you're done. Also, all three of those are confidential. So we don't share any information from any of those answers with any agency uh, at all. So
0: people should not have any trepidation about filling out the census. Exactly. Because it's confidential It is. All we
1: do is create statistics, and then we get a snapshot or a picture of what the United States looks like through statistics. And then we pass that information along to the government, and they make decisions based on it. So we're really not using that other than to make statistics. We don't take that specific information that anybody gives us and share that with any other agency or department. So that information is confidential and it's saved for 72 years. So for 72 years, you can't share that information with anyone. After 72 years, it does. Uh, we do take it and publish that information. So
0: uh, somebody like me that's interested in genealogy can look that information up, exactly which I think is right. so cool. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So in, in
1: a way too, it's your legacy. So. You know, you existed at this moment in time, and you're telling that story of you and your family. And so I think of it this way. My daughter's two. uh, This will be the first census she's ever been on. Uh, When my daughter's 74 years old, she'll be able to look up mom and dad at Mm -hmm. home where we lived in Richmond, where you know what was going on with us, and she'll see herself as a two-year-old living in the house, which is it's neat. Yeah, it's a neat thing to do. 72 years 72 years so nobody
0: should worry about giving someone information because it is against the law for that enumerator or anybody else to pass on your information
1: every single member of the census bureau everybody that's in our department takes an oath of office when they come onto the job that oath of office includes swearing that you will not share any information that you receive for the rest of your life so when we get the information, it's secure for the rest of our for the rest of our lives. So we don't share that any information that we collect. Um, in addition to that, if any information is leaked from an individual within the department, we face a two hundred fifty thousand dollars fine and five years in prison. So it's, nobody in the Census Bureau is incentivized to share any information that they receive whatsoever, and that's everybody, from the very top of the organization all the way down to those enumerators that come and knocking on the door. So the, you know, the information that people give the Census Bureau is safe, it's secure. Uh, we spend a lot of time and effort making sure that the IT systems that we're using um, for the actual secure website that people right. are going to use – that there, there's no flaw in the security system that people's answers are going to be confidential. But you also think about it, you're not providing any information to the census that could be used to steal your identity. Right,
0: because you're not uh, providing social security right. numbers and that type of So
1: you thing. don't have to worry about that part of the financial side of it uh, being afraid of fraud. But what you do need to make sure you're, that you're aware of is that in— During this time period, there may be people that are trying to defraud other people and pretend to be members of the Census Bureau. So there's two methods that we use to make sure that that information is uh, accurate. So one, we have a website, 2020census.gov slash rumors, where we actually put information on that website about current rumors that are in the public that people are concerned about and dispelling that information to make sure that accurate information is getting out to the public. We also have a method where people can report uh, rumors that they're hearing on that same website we also have a fraud line where you can call if you suspect somebody in your area of committing fraud or pretending to be a census bureau employee and that number is 1-800-923-8282 and it actually connects locally to the area census office and they can confirm right then and there whether the person you're dealing with is a, a census bureau, bureau employee
0: what type of identification would a census bureau
1: employee right. have every single uh, enumerator every single census employee has a badge from the department of commerce so it's a it's a legit government badge and if someone has not provided that to you you should ask for it just and to they'll ensure. be
0: wearing it like on a
1: lanyard yeah, they should a... be wearing it on a lanyard or they'll have it attached to their belt, belt. okay yeah.
0: excellent because i i work for chesterfield county public schools i'm wondering how will this census information how does it affect children in okay. our school
1: system so before we get into that i want to mention in 2010 we missed a million kids across the United States. Now, the census knows that because we look at information from other departments. We look at health records, school records, and we're able to see that these kids are here, but their answers were not included on the census. Oh. Now, because of that, that meant that across the United States, a million kids went underfunded for 10 years. So think about a school-aged kid who was five years old. From five to 15, that kid was underfunded because they weren't put on the census. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means programs like SNAP, Programs like early childhood education, programs like a free re- a reduced lunch, lunch in the mm-hmm. school systems, those were all underfunded for the amount of kids that we had across the United States of America.
0: How did that happen?
1: So it happens for lots of different reasons. We don't have one specific reason why people forget to put the kid on the answer to the census. Sometimes it's a shared custody situation. Sometimes it's uh, kids that may be experiencing homelessness that are living with a relative or a friend for a short period of time and aren't Mm -hmm. included on their answers. Sometimes there's individuals that may be living with an extended family member and that family member didn't remember to put them on the census. Or there's some people that just don't complete the census. And they happen mm-hmm. to have kids. And the, we all know who have kids, how busy we are. Right. So, <laughs> so some <laughs> I, I, of those I households. I haven't
0: forgotten mine yet. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but some of those
1: households, that's the reason why. So there's okay. many different you know, reasons why this may have happened. But the, the, the principal thing that we want everybody to understand is that every child in your household counts. And they count for a different amount for different localities. But for here in Chesterfield, it's about $2,000 a person. So that's over so 10 years. It matters. Yeah. It matters. So then if you take 2000 by times 10, that's $20,000 over 10 years, and funding mm-hmm. that's supposed to come back for programs that, that help the schools, programs that help your children, that won't be there. So we need to make sure that we include that, you know, every child that lives in our household on the census.
0: How does the census affect schools then? Like, I heard you sort of weave that in there. It's for funding. For programming for our preschools for our free and reduced lunch. Yep. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Yeah, there's
1: some grants that are available mm-hmm. to certain uh, areas uh, that that would ultimately go to schools um, that are determined with the information that's provided on the census. Just like I mentioned, private business and public sector, mm-hmm. there are a lot of different nonprofits and things that would work through the information on the census to provide additional program a different and additional help mm-hmm. to the school systems. I think of locality, uh, local nonprofits here like Feed More, you know. Right ones like that they're going to use the data from the census as well to make determinations about what they're going to do to help the school systems so it's it's not just the federal funding coming back it's all the funding that's attached to all these programs that are already there helping the school systems Excellent. public libraries as well I, was thinking yeah. the yeah. too, I mean that ties sure. into the school system they have a lot of pro- programs that are across uh, you know across the mm-hmm. public libraries and the public schools any of the things that you think about in the county um, that are going to use federal funding to expand, they, they have an effect on schools. Even roads and highways. You think about the school buses. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. that's that's all affected by the answers to the census.
0: I'm an educator. What kind of resources yeah. do you have available to teach people about the census?
1: I, am, I personally have been very impressed with how much we have already from the mm-hmm. Census Bureau. 2020census.gov. If you go to that website, you can look at partners and then outreach materials. And all of the outreach materials that we've already created are in different languages, in English, uh, oh, Spanish. Excellent. okay. You know, um, and you can go on there, and there, it's public-facing. So you can download or, or uh, take a copy of anything that's already on there to share in your community, share with your partners, share with people you know down the block from you, you want to make sure they understand right. what, yeah. what the census is. That's all there. We also have a YouTube channel where we've created PSAs that talk about the census, how it's important. Okay. We also have some in multiple different languages as well. So So you can go on there and see those. The census has also done a great job of working with local complete count committees. So here in Chesterfield, we have a complete count committee. Mm -hmm. Um, On the state level, we have a complete count committee. And they also have outreach materials specific to our localities. So I know Chesterfield County in particular has made bookmarks at their public libraries, both in English and Spanish, that say 2020 census, shape your future, and it's explaining why it's important. And then they have their local uh, complete count website on that as well. From the state level, the state designed different outreach materials that go to different subgroups within our demographics in the state and why it's important to those subgroups to answer the census. So um, those are all on their website, on the Virginia Complete Count uh, Commission uh, website. If you just look up, you Google Virginia Complete Count Commission, you can see the outreach materials right. and get it from there.
0: With that alliteration, hopefully folks will It is that. a lot, yeah, the v- <laughs> yeah. VCCC.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, But check it out. You know, It's great that the localities, especially Rich, uh, Richmond, Henrico, Chesterfield, have been so uh, engaged and are doing a great job to get the message right. out. Uh, and
0: we are looking here at Chesterfield County Public Schools having an event next month. Yes, you know, yeah. To so, talk more about it. Every person counts.
1: Yep. That's another great program. We have a program called Statistics in Schools. Uh, Basically, the Census Bureau hired over 400 uh, public school teachers across the U.S. prior to uh, kicking off the census, so it was like 2016, 2017, and they started building lessons uh, that you could use, full-on lessons that you could print off both with the uh, student materials and the teacher's uh, sort of uh, lesson plan, and you can follow it exactly, and it teaches the importance of census across different curriculums. It's, uh, there's some math and science, obviously. Yeah,
0: I looked at it. It's amazing it is. cross-curricular stuff. It is history.
1: It. They have ELL and ESL lessons as well. Um, they have some lessons completely in Spanish for the Spanish teachers like me out there back right. in the day.
0: Yep.
1: It's really, really an outstanding resource. And so our Statistics Schools program on March 13th is going to be exactly about that. So we're going to have, we're going to first talk a little bit about census and why it's important like we've done here today, but then we're going to break into the little smaller groups and we're going to give examples of what is available in, for people to use in the classroom and sort of go through the lesson plans so that people understand how elaborate it is and how great it is and how useful it is. We're also going to have stuff for the young kids here, coloring right. books and, and, and things that Census created for the pre-K, uh, that's also on statistics in schools. But if you and go... it's
0: not just for teachers, right? This event right. is for educators and Every, for the whole community. Right.
1: And so if you are interested in looking at that now, if you just uh, search statistics in schools... You can go on you can see all the resources. Though they're also public-facing. You don't need like a special account or anything. You can just go on there, gotcha. pull the lesson mm-hmm. plans off, and you can start Excellent. using them tomorrow. If you're a teacher and you you got a sick day and you want to make sure you're covered... <laughs> You know there that would be a great idea. A for there you me, go. Right? There's a lesson. That's I, great. And
0: you, There's other cool things like you showed me that one—the meter, that one page, the cen- What is it called, Justin? Yeah. So I can't remember it, it, it.
1: it's it's a population tracker, yes. and so it's on our main site, the census.gov site, um, and you can see the world population and also the national population, and how we still have a surplus on both. So the uh, in the U.S. we're still gaining a person. Uh, I think it's like every four and a half seconds. Second. Um, and then and it's even more. mesmerized yeah, me. On like, the world level, our population is increasing. So we're having more people still born than are passing away. Exactly. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to look at it because it, it just keeps ticking up. Yes. <laughs> but that's also important for people to understand why the census is so important. Because if you think about it, if a single person is missed, 10 years from now, the population is going to be greater. So ultimately, we're always fighting being underfunded. So we need to make sure that we're not more underfunded by getting a complete count of everybody today.
0: Justin, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And I look forward to working with you again on March 13th. Thanks to all those folks listening. And I hope everybody gets out there because every person does count. They
1: count. They do. And thank you so much for giving me the time. And we're going to have a blast on March 13th. So come out. We'll have some food. We'll have fun. Come out and learn about the census.
0: So there you have it. Make sure that you participate in the census count. And like Justin said, make sure that we include our children in the count too. I thought it was super interesting that Justin noted children under five years old are among the population groups that are historically undercounted in the census. And we want children in our community to have the resources that they need over the next 10 years so Every Person Counts. We hope to see you all at the Statistics in Schools event, aptly named Every Person Counts, on March 13th at the CTC at Hall, which is 13900 Hull Street Road in Midlothian, and it's 23112. And if you have not, check out the resources on the website census.gov. Thanks for engaging with us. Music credit, Radio Martini by Kevin MacLeod.